Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Great to be with you guys tonight. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're settling into the semester okay. Week three, middle of week three. Feeling okay about it? Rainy day, blues. Um, Yeah, it is good to be with you all as always. And uh, just by way of reminder, we're doing this series in the Gospel of John this semester called Who is the Real Jesus? And it's a way... Uh, John's gospel in particular really helps us with this question of who Jesus is. And there's all these parts in the gospel of John that we'll look at this semester where Jesus tells us who he is. Uh, But in these first uh, little bits of the gospel of John, uh, there's these great interactions that Jesus has with kind of ordinary people and different types of people. And last week we saw Jesus interact with a religious leader. So like the man, you know, if anybody has his stuff together, it was this guy and he told him you need to be born again. And tonight we're going to look at kind of the opposite type of character, uh, as you'll see. And so let me just read our passage for us and we'll spend some time looking at it together. So this is from John 4 and you can follow along up there in the Bible if you have one with you. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And uh, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. 
Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Let me pray for us again. Uh, Heavenly Father, guide us now as we look at your word. and We pray that you would use it to transform us and change our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A while back, my dad, as many old dads do, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but my dad was noticing that he was getting tired more, like just average day at the end of the day, he was feeling, he was like, I don't remember feeling this tired at the end of a day. And it was going on for a while. And so he decided to do one of those sleep studies where you like check yourself into a hospital for the night and they like hook you up to all the different sensors and they monitor your sleep. And what they found through that is that he had sleep apnea, which meant that like he woke up like 60 times in the night from lack of oxygen. And so it's like when you wake yourself up because you don't have enough oxygen and then you catch your breath. But because of that, you never fall into deep sleep, like the REM sleep that you need. And so that's why he was so tired because he was waking up constantly throughout the night. And so to fix it, they have these machines called CPAP machines that are like super popular now with old men. And, uh, you know, it just like shoots oxygen into your nose all night long and you sleep like a baby. And it was life changing for my dad. And he was like, you know, this is what I'm talking like. This is how I'm supposed to feel. And uh, thankfully, he was able to figure it out and solve his problem. But what he learned is that it's possible to be going through what you think is normal life and it's totally not the way it's supposed to be, right? You know, actually, like, you can be living a life uh, that's not the way it's supposed to be and not realize it because you only have your experience to compare with. And this is a story about a woman who, she doesn't have sleep apnea, obviously, but she is thirsty and she doesn't seem to realize it. And so I want to look at the idea of thirst tonight, and I want to look at the reality of thirst, where thirst can take us, and the true source of satisfaction for our thirst. And so first of all, I want to think about the reality of thirst. And at the beginning of our passage, Christiana, would you go back to the previous one for us, for this part? Um, Jesus has drawn some attention to himself uh, by in, where he was in Judea. And so he's heading up to Galilee and he's passing through Samaria and they come to this well in Samaria in this place called Sikar and his disciples are getting food and so Jesus is sitting by a well. And it's, that in itself is amazing, right? Like God came to earth and he like got thirsty and like sweated by a well in the heat of the day. And John is careful to point out that it's the sixth hour, which is noon. Okay, remember that. It's the sixth hour, it's noon. And this woman, a Samaritan woman, comes to the well. And apart from, you know, I don't know what Jesus would be able to know about this woman because he's Jesus. Uh, but the situation itself would tell him everything he needed to know about her. Because she comes alone to draw water at noon. Now, what does that say about her? 
Think about that for a second. Um, I have a friend, I had a friend in college when I moved into my dorm freshman year. Uh, he was just my next door neighbor in my dorm. And so I met him right away when I moved in. And he happened to be, I think, the largest guy on my campus. Most overweight guy on my campus. And uh, it was kind of like, it was the first thing you noticed about him when you looked at him was how overweight he was. And uh, I kept in touch with him throughout my time in college, here and there. Like, we were pretty good friends. And I remember at the end of college my senior year I ran into him on campus and he looked totally different and I I was like dude you look great and he had lost like 70 he was still a large guy but it wasn't like the first thing you noticed about him anymore he lost like 70 pounds and he just looked really good and he looked really happy and and I was like how are you doing and he was like well I'm really tired I said why are you so tired he said well I wake up at 4 a.m. to jog every morning And I didn't ask him, think about that, why would someone who's really overweight go jogging when it's dark outside? Because you don't want to be seen, right? It's like, it's it's unfair, right? Like the people that need to get in shape have to do it in private because it's embarrassing to try to do it out in public. And so, like, I didn't have to ask him to know why he was waking up at 4 a.m. to jog every morning. And this woman, when a woman in this time period goes alone at noon to draw water, you know what's going on. Because drawing water was communal. The women of the village would all go together and they wouldn't pick the hottest part of the day to go unless you were an outcast. So Jesus would know just by the situation that he's stepping into the life of a hurting person and most people would avoid that. But Jesus says, give me a drink. And she's shocked because she's a Samaritan and he's a Jew. Uh, What you need to know about Samaritans and Jews is that they were racial enemies and religious enemies. Uh, They make any kind of like racial conflict that we have in America now look like child's play. They did not associate. Uh, There's a lot more to that. But uh, Jewish men did not go near Samaritan women in that time. Uh, and the modern day equivalent of this woman, you know, if she walked into RUF tonight, we would all just kind of be like, Ugh, I'm uncomfortable now, right? And yet Jesus looks at a woman like that and he says, like, I'm going to see what I can do to get into her life. And so he starts this conversation about water and he says that he can give her living water. Now, it's obvious to us that he's not talking about, like, actual water, right? But for her, the phrase living water meant, like, a fresh spring. So she has in her mind, like, he's like, I have a fresh spring. And she's curious. And she's like, how are you going to get the water? And Jesus responds uh, that he, whoever drinks his water will never thirst again. And that the water will become the spring welling up within them to eternal life. And it all sounds great, right? And the woman's like, okay, give me the water. And they're, uh, we know they're not on the same page. And so Jesus says, go get your husband. And she replies, I have no husband. Now, why would she give such a short, blunt reply? Everyone who's studied this passage thinks that she's trying to end the conversation right there. It's just like, I have no husband. Think about what's going on there. This woman is in a conversation with the one person who's willing to draw near to her. 
and he happens to be God incarnate, and he's just offered her life, eternal life, and she would prefer to end the conversation there than allow herself to be known. And we all know what that's like, right? We all uh, know what it's like to be afraid to be known. Uh, I have been married now for uh, six years, and... I've married couples, officiated several weddings, and there's this book called The Meaning of Marriage that I recommend to all of them, and I would even recommend it to any of you if you're even thinking about marriage. It's by Tim Keller, and he makes this great point in it about relationships, which is that uh, the best thing in the world is to be known and loved. We all just want to be known and loved, but the worst thing in the world is to be known and not loved. And it's so bad that oftentimes we would prefer just to not be known. Even though known and loved is the best, uh, we would prefer to just not be known because of the risk of being known and not loved. Uh, you know, when someone finds out who you really are and rejects you, there's just nothing worse than that. It's so bad that we just don't even risk getting known. And this is a woman who's been burned, right? Like, we know from her story that she's been burned. And so she carries this weight of shame with her. Um, When I was in seventh grade, I remember this. The fact that I remember this says a lot about who I am. Uh, I remember, like, when guys started to wear button-down shirts sometimes for, like, the first... It was in, like, my school was, like, seventh, eighth grade. And I was just starting to wear button-down shirts sometimes. And I, I remember buying this cool shirt that I thought was cool with my mom, and it had, it happened to have a tag right here on the pocket, just about like this big, small tag, it said Calvin Klein on it, and I remember the first day I wore it to my school, this guy in my school who was pretty cool walked up to me, and he goes, ooh, Calvin Klein, guess what shirt I never wore again, why? Because I'd rather just like throw out that shirt that I liked than face that again because it made me feel shame. And that's how we operate with relationships, right? If we've ever been rejected because of something we've shared about ourselves then we instinctively just learn like it's better to just not be known than risk rejection. And this woman knows rejection and she's hiding something kind of big, right? We eventually learn that she's on her sixth husband which would be kind of like scandalous even today, right? And imagine back then, and she knows she's messed up, and she knows that she's unclean, and she knows that it would be a risk to let everyone know what she's like. And what we're, it's shame, right? A lot of people kind of think guilt and shame are the same, pretty much the same thing, but they're actually really different. And the difference is important, because guilt is believing that you've done something wrong, and shame is believing that like you are wrong at your core. Or another way of putting it is guilt says, I'm sorry I made a mistake. And shame says, I'm sorry I am a mistake. You see the difference? And we move pretty quickly from guilt to shame, don't we? And what shame says, it's, it's over for you. No one's going to want you. You're done. And that's where this woman is at. And so she has this deep-rooted thirst, but she doesn't see it as thirst. For her, this is just her life. 
thirst just feels, her normal life just feels like thirst. Okay, so that's the reality of thirst. But I want to look now where thirst can take us, and specifically at the question of, why does Jesus ask her to get her husband? Jesus asked her to get her husband because he's trying to show her that underneath everything, she's a woman with a cosmic thirst. And she can't see that she's thirsty. And so the woman, she's tried to end the conversation. Jesus won't allow it, though. And he he won't allow her to stay alienated. And so he exposes the truth about her gently. She says, I have no husband. And he says, you're right. You've had five. And you're living with your sixth one now. Imagine, like, the surge of, like, adrenaline that would happen (laughs) if someone said it for her, like, in the moment he said that, right? Like, this is a big moment. Uh, But the key question is, why does Jesus jump from a conversation about water to a conversation about six husbands? What do they have to do with each other? And what he's trying to get her to see is that behind every choice, behind every behavior that you do, is a thirst that demands to be satisfied. And we need to just see this in our own lives as well. There's nothing that you do that doesn't have some kind of thirst behind it. Uh, For example, you don't just waste a day browsing the internet. You waste a day browsing the internet because you're thirsty for something. Or you don't just gossip. You gossip because you're thirsty for something. Or you don't just cheat on a test. You cheat on a test because you're thirsty for something. And you, everything, every good or bad, everything you do is driven by something, a deep-rooted thirst. Now, why would a woman go through six husbands? You don't have to be a rocket science to, scientist to figure it out, right? Uh, she probably wants to be loved. She probably wants to feel secure, right? Like, times have changed, but not that much. Like, there's a, similar things happen all the time today. Uh, She's willing to be mistreated by men because it's better than the alternative, which is being alone. But the problem is, look how alone she is now. And what Jesus is trying to show her that is that her problem isn't that she's thirsty. The problem isn't that she feels alone. That's not what's wrong with her. The problem is that she's looking for satisfaction in the wrong places. She's drawing water from the wrong source. Uh, Many years ago, I went on a trip to Israel, like a tour uh, of the Holy Land and Jerusalem and Galilee. And one of the stops on our trip was the Dead Sea. You guys know about the Dead Sea in the south of Israel? It's the saltiest, most mineralized body of water in the world. It's the lowest uh, point. It's like below sea level and on land and uh, you can float in the water just by like you you don't have to try like the water just pulls you up you cannot sink in this water and so we were all excited to swim in the Dead Sea and our guide was like explaining to us how it works he was like yeah you can just float you don't need to worry about that it's really easy he's like if you happen to swallow some water by accident while you're swimming just don't panic but like come get me and i'll call an ambulance and we'll go and we're all like "Ah!" (laughs) because the water is so salty that if you were to like take a gulp of it by accident it would like totally dehydrate you instantly okay now i want you to imagine being really thirsty like dying of thirst and taking a big gulp of water from the dead sea 
we would never do something so silly, right? We'd never repeatedly seek out comfort and satisfaction from things that would leave us feeling drier and emptier than before, right? Of course we would. We do this kind of thing all the time, and the big name ones are pornography and sex and alcohol, but it could just as easily be done with food or performance or relationships or social media or the, even the religious things we do can be a means, a mode of this. And our problem isn't that we long for something or that we thirst for something. Uh, it's that we seek out satisfaction from places that make our situation worse that they actually end up, in the end, making our thirst more intense than before. Uh, why do we settle for that? You know, why, why would you drink salty water when you're thirsty? Well, there is a split second when if you, all you feel is like the cool wetness before the salt hits, right? But then you get thirstier. And this is a woman now that's been known... She wants to be known and loved in an ultimate way. And she seems to be just like looking to men for that, for security. But men can't satisfy her in that way. And so she ends up just not being known or loved by anyone. And so she lives a life of hiding. And Jesus is gently trying to show her this so that she'll seek out a new source of satisfaction. So I want to ask you guys tonight... What are the sources of satisfaction that you are drawing from that are just wearing you out? You know, is it human approval? Is it the approval of parents? Is it the approval of peers? You know, and that, just like anything, you know, or is it success? Like, the more you get, the less secure you feel. Like, the more you have to do to maintain it or keep it. Um, you know, I, I'm a pastor and pastors struggle with human approval a lot because a lot of what we do involves humans. And so pastors are so insecure because they're like, does anyone like me? You know, does everyone like me? And it's never, it's not like if you live for that, it ever gets better, right? It gets worse because you have to maintain it. Or think about, we talked about money a couple of weeks ago and how all these famous people with all this money are just empty, right? Because the more you get, the less secure you feel. All these sources actually take away what they supposedly provide, okay? So that's where thirst can take us. But I want to now talk about the true source of satisfaction. Um, Jesus reveals that he knows her story here, and she gives this funny response. She's like, I perceive that you are a prophet. And it's kind of like, yeah, (laughs) that's a good start. Uh, But then she poses this trivial question about worship which she's probably just trying to be like all right let's take the conversation elsewhere here but jesus he guides the conversation masterfully and he says okay if you want to talk about worship let's talk about worship Uh, and what he eventually says is that those who worship god the the true worshipers he says are those that worship in spirit and in truth and a lot of ink has been spilled over the course of centuries about what that might mean. But the gist of what he's saying there when he says that worshipers must worship in spirit and truth and in this context of this conversation is that worship is a lot like thirst. Worship is a lot like thirst. And today when we talk about worship, usually what we mean is singing to God like we did earlier Uh, But the word worship comes from the word worth. 
And so it was originally worship. And so what it means to worship something is to show forth the worth of something. Singing is a profound way to do that. Because there's very few things or people that we sing to. Uh, but we can also do it with every aspect of our life. You know, the way you spend your time has to do with worship and what you're worshiping. Our priorities in life have to do with worship. What we dream about, all these things are aspects of worship. And Jesus is trying to show her that her life will never feel like life until she's worshiping that which is true and solid, the true God, the one she was made for, and that she'll never do that until she knows who God is. And if you see and experience who God really is and you're filled with his spirit, then life will come bubbling up out of you. That's what the living water thing is about. And so the big question is then, who is God truly? And as we study the Gospel of John, what we're going to see over and over again is that John is like a master of like, do you want to know what God, who God is? Look to Jesus. Do you want to know what God is like? You've got to look at Jesus. He's the one the world has been waiting for. And at the end of this passage, she's trying to, this woman is trying to end the conversation again. She says, well, when the Messiah comes, he'll clear all this up. <laughs> and he, and it's, she says it kind of in the way probably that we would, you know how when you're trying to end a conversation, you're like, well, it is what it is, or something like that. And you walk, so she's probably doing something like that. And uh, Jesus won't let her end the conversation there, though. He says, I'm him. Now, what does Jesus show us about God in this passage that can quench our thirst, that can make us run to him instead of whatever else it is that we run to that makes us thirstier than before? Um, C.S. Lewis, who I reference a lot in RUF, uh, has this great point that he makes in one of his books about desire. And what he says about desire is that uh, you don't desire for something that doesn't exist. So for everything that exists, like every desire that exists, it can only exist because the satisfaction of it exists somewhere else. So like the reason we feel hungry is because food exists. And the reason we feel thirsty is because water exists. And the reason we feel sexual desire is because sex exists. And every desire that we have has a satisfaction to it somewhere. But his point is that if you have a deep cosmic thirst, If you're cosmically thirsty, it's not because there's something wrong with you, but there must be a satisfaction to that cosmic thirst somewhere. Now, what makes Jesus that? How can Jesus claim to offer true satisfaction? Well, look at what he shows us about God in our passage. Um, First of all, we already noted, you know, he sat down by a well, sweating and tired. Like the God of the universe comes down it means we don't work our way up to this god he comes to us even if it means living in our sad world Uh, and even though he's god he's holy and this woman is an outcast he draws near to her in the midst of her shame he's not ashamed to be seen with her he even invites himself into her life now how can that be how can like the holy creator god of the universe who dwells in unapproachable light except a drink from an outcast Samaritan woman who's on her sixth marriage. 
And the answer to that is because of something else that happens in noon, at noon later in John's Gospel. If you were to flip ahead in your Bible to John chapter 19, what you would see is that on that day, at noon, Jesus is handed over to be crucified. The one person who has nothing to be ashamed of is crucified in shame, naked, between two criminals, while everyone looks on and mocks him. And what does Jesus say as he's dying in John's gospel? He says, I thirst. And when he says, I thirst, that's a picture of what's actually going on. He is thirsty, but he's cosmically thirsty in that moment because in his greatest time of need, as he cries out to the one person who was always there, who was supposed to be there, the father turns his face away. In the same way that husbands one through five turned their face away from this woman, in the same way that the women of the village turned their face away from this woman. Do you, do you think the people you know would turn their face away from you if they knew the real you? If they knew what you were really like? If they knew what you had really done? This is saying that if you trust in Jesus, God will not be one of those ones who turns his face away from you because on the cross he turned his face away from Jesus instead. Jesus on the cross takes on the full experience of what it's like when we go after something that dries us up and the Father turns his, way, his face away so that he can turn his face toward us. In other words, for thirsty people to access the source, the source had to become thirsty. And if if you have Jesus, it means God knows all about you, all the sources of satisfaction you pull from, and he's not ashamed of you. He's paid the ultimate price to be with you. He's made his mission to put your shame on himself as a way of taking it away. And when you worship and know that God true life will come bubbling up out of you. You know, what will it feel like? It will feel like freedom and joy. You know, no more need for anyone else's approval but his. The one who made you approves of you. No more need of any other source of security because you're secure in the arms of the one who made you and loves you. And what will true life look like? Having Jesus as your source will give you compassion toward outcasts. For people who are thirsty and making a mess of their lives because you'll just see yourself in them. And you'll be a person who goes toward people like that, just like Jesus does and says, you know, come to the source. And he'll draw us into community together because we're all the same, right? We're all just thirsty people looking for a source. So I'll close now by just praying that God would work that transformation in us and in this community. So let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, you uh, see so much of us that uh, we would be ashamed to have anyone else see, and yet you love us still, and we are so grateful for that. And we pray that uh, you would turn us more and more toward Christ as our satisfaction of our thirst and away from all these destructive things that we look to to give our lives meaning, to make ourselves feel fulfilled, uh, to try to live life apart from you. Draw us near to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.